Okay, so we are in the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we're going to be starting with verse 16. And what we're going to be doing is seeing, uh, basically, the title of this message is to, um, that there's a burden on us as a church to communicate the gospel clearly and effectively. And so we are going to be looking at a situation which Paul was in Athens, and uh, we're going to look at his approach. So we, we don't want to assume that we all understand what the gospel is, but the major emphasis is how do we approach talking to someone else about the gospel itself. So that's what we're going to be looking at in uh, Acts chapter 17. Now, while Paul waited for them, that is Silas and Timothy, we read earlier in the uh, scripture, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something, some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of the heaven and the earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one uh, blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's advising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, and among them was Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus, and we thank you for um, your presence here. I want to thank you for the gift of song and music that we can express not only how we feel, but truth that is in your scripture. And we pray, Father, that now as we turn to your word, that you would speak to us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. You know, different preachers preach differently, and some of you are wondering what is going to happen for the next 25 to 55 minutes. Now, I say that because you don't know how long I'm going to preach, but I did look at the schedule, and I have up to 40 minutes according to what was in front of me. So, uh, Brother Justin, I don't know if that was for my uh, perusal or not, or if that's just normal that you give Cody. Um, I really have appreciated uh, this body of believers for quite a long time. I've been at our church for over 31 years, and one of the things that I remember is that we would come over here when you would uh, all have some special occasions uh, here. And uh, you were here as a witness, you're still here as a witness, and I believe that God's going to use you until Jesus comes back. Uh, But I do have some personal reasons why I appreciate this church. And uh, and that has to do with the influence of two page boys uh, that we all know, Adam and Cody. Um, My life is richer because of these two young pastors. And uh, one here being on the west side of the county, the other being on the east side of the county. And uh, it's an inspiration to me when I get to meet and talk with them on a personal basis when I get to hear them preach and them teach. And so um, you have influenced both of them. And so I am a personal recipient of your faithfulness through the decades. And so I thank you that I can be a part, um, be a co-pastor now with Adam. He's no longer our assistant pastor, but he's a co-pastor with me. Um, It's inspirational because these young guys... Uh, really have an anointing of uh, the Holy Spirit. And while I've been around uh, in the ministry for 50 years, I have hope for the future, uh, not because of these two guys, but because of God's anointing on those whom he calls from one generation to the next. Um, It's... I'm a stranger with you guys. You're not a stranger, but I did hear of a stranger who came in and um, he was in the middle of this man's sermon. And so he was going on and he asked a man who had been there for a long time. And he just asked him, he says, now, how long has this guy been preaching? And the old man said, oh, about 30 or 40 years. And he says, well, I think I'll stay. He's probably about done. So we always have to know, uh, you know, when you're done. Uh, Sometimes preachers don't know when to quit, and they were done 30 minutes ago. 
So I'll try to quit when I'm done. And when the Holy Spirit tells, I'll try for us to quit at the same time, if that's okay with you. One of the things that I've learned through the years is that I never assume what the reason that you are here. Each one of us have been walking a journey, whether we are Christians and Christ followers or whether we are not, or we're on a journey to become Christ followers. Each one of you is in a different place. And also what goes along with that is I have no idea what you've experienced over the last year or the last few months or the last few days even, because that affects how we receive what God God has for us. If it's been a good week, sometimes we're very optimistic when we come in. And then uh, if we haven't had a good week or we've had some tragedy in our life or we've had sickness in our life, and uh, then we come for uh, not negatively, but with hope, you know, somehow, Lord, speak to me because I need this time of worship. So we all come with different expectations. Uh, Do you remember... uh, in Acts when Paul was preaching and he started in the evening and uh, he was up on the third story and he was still going at it by midnight. Do you remember what happened? Yeah, this young fella who you should not listen to a sermon on the third story uh, in a window that doesn't have bars and screens. Uh, he fell out because he fell asleep, and Paul went down, and the uh, Lord raised him from, his, from the dead. Um, you should be grateful that we're not on the third floor. You should be grateful that you're not sitting in a window, and you should be grateful that I'm not going to go until midnight. <laughs> what we want to address from this scripture today is how do we, and and I'm not a how-to type of guy, but we can learn lessons from Scripture um, on what are our responsibilities as believers when we come in contact with people who are not believers. And we're going to see how did Paul address this because it's very important. Um, Pam and I and several from our church just uh, returned from a trip overseas in a different culture, and I was able to meet with um, some of um, uh, the people that, uh, that are working there from the States. And one of the things that we were there to do was to encourage them because they are in a different culture with a different mindset, with a whole different uh, perspective about what the gospel will be, and they're not necessarily free to to share the gospel with uh, just anybody at any time, but it's okay to be a Christian and to have personal conversations. But they've had to adjust on how do they, on a personal level, talk about personal faith. And I think that sometimes we forget um, how important it is to know who are we talking to. If you go back and read the scriptures, the verses before this, Paul was in Thessalonica. He was sharing the gospel. There were some who believed. In fact, uh, they believed in such a manner that some of those in the community didn't like what they saw. And so they stirred up trouble to uh, there in Thessalonica until 
Paul and Silas and I think probably Timothy at this time, although we pick up Timothy in Berea. And, um, and so they had to leave, and so they went to Berea. And what did Paul and Silas do? Well, they did the same thing. They listened to where the Bereans were. They shared the gospel in such a way. And the scripture says that Paul and Silas appreciated the Bereans because they would search the scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas was saying is true. So evidently, the people in Berea were a different sort from those in Thessalonica. So they adjusted a little bit. And then when those in Thessalonica heard that there was almost a revival in Berea, they came from Thessalonica and stirred up trouble. Have you ever met someone that just seems to just love to stir up trouble? It's a sad thing, isn't it? It's, uh, It's one thing to be persecuted for the gospel. It's another thing when people just have a sour spirit where they just want to stir up difficulty for those who are believers. And that's what they were doing. They went out of the way, went one town to another just to find out what was going on and they didn't like it. And so Paul and Silas, um, Silas and Timothy stayed there in Berea and the Bible says that Paul went on to Athens. And so when you read that first verse that we read, 16, it says that he went to Athens to wait for them. That's the context. So now... Paul is by himself, as far as we know, in Athens. And uh, we know that Athens was the intellectual center of that for the known world. Uh, That's where the philosophers and the intellectuals and the students would go. And ultimately, as we read in the scriptures when he goes to the Areopagus, that that's where people who don't have anything else to do. (laughs) Can you imagine being so independently wealthy that you don't have to work? So all you do is you stand at what the Romans called Mars Hill and you listen to things that are new and you get to speak things that are new. And I I don't know, maybe they got paid for it. I have no idea. But uh, that's where Paul is going to wind up. So while Paul was in Athens... He walked around the city. Now, it's estimated that was about 3,000 statues erected for various gods in the city. You might wonder, why would they have so many statues? It's because they don't want to offend any of the gods. As soon as they would hear about a god somewhere else, they would say, well, we don't want to offend him, so let's make a statue for that god or goddess, whatever it might be. And so um, I don't know if Paul was prayer walking. Have you ever been on a trip and uh, the people who were working there would ask you, say, well, let's just go around the neighborhood and let's prayer walk. Have you ever done that? Where we were, we were asked, would you just prayer walk? And uh, the idea is to get a sense of what is going on in the community. Where are the people in the way that they think, in the way that they live, in their culture and things of that nature? Why is that important? Because that determines on the manner in which we share what the truth is. The truth never changes, but there are times that we need to adjust on how we present it to other people. Why do we do that? So that they can hear the truth. 
And it's on us to do that. And here Paul is, he's adapting, and we're going to see that he adapts it in two uh, or three ways, even there in Athens. The first thing that I see here is that he was greatly provoked to see that the city was full of idols. What does it mean to be provoked? Yes. Anybody? Okay, there actually is in the Greek, the idea of being provoked, there is this element of anger. Now, this is what's interesting, that Paul is provoked, his spirit was provoked because he saw so many different idols. Now, let's get real here. He's not angry at the people. He's angry at their lostness. He's provoked that people can be so deceived that they would be so religious and that he is, uh, another translation is he's distressed because of the magnitude of the lostness of Athens. And the people that's there. Well, how did he become provoked? Well, and how did he become distressed? It's because even though he wasn't from there, he took time to listen to what was going on. He not only just saw the idols, he noticed that they had deep religious convictions and he wanted to know more about them, and he understood that. Paul had two deep convictions. This is what provoked him. This is what distressed him. Number one, religion without Christ is worthless and empty. And that people that are without Christ are lost eternally. That was a deep conviction on his part. The second conviction that he had is that he was provoked to do something about it. That is, he's provoked in order to answer the question, what do we do with that which is lost? And that is that he had a conviction that the gospel had the power to convert anyone. Part of his sermon, if you read it, that he said, God has been, has overlooked the ignorance, but now his judgment is coming and the gospel needs to be preached to all cultures and all people everywhere. Your songs, the very first ones about, let the, it's from Psalm 67, if I'm not correct, uh, uh, if, if I'm not wrong. And that has to do that we want the nations to be glad. We want the nations to hear. Well, how do they hear? 
by us just sitting in our cubicles? Or do we have responsibility for others who don't know Christ to hear? So the first thing that I see that Paul has in being able to communicate the gospel is you've got to have a deep conviction that people are lost without Christ. And number two, that the gospel has the power to save anyone if they hear. They must hear the gospel. They're not going to be saved, brothers and sisters, because they know we go to church. In fact, what is the general population's view of church in general? Is it positive or negative? Usually it's negative. Is it because we are responsible for that negative? Or is it because of what other people have said or done in the past that things are negative? When everyone here may have a great heart for Christ and love Christ... And yet they don't know that. Why? Because they haven't heard. So there is a deep conviction. Do we have that deep conviction of the lostness of those around us? What did Paul first do? He went to the synagogue. Even though God called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles... He also knew the instruction of the Lord, the gospel first to the Jew and then the Gentile. He always went to find a synagogue. Even if there wasn't a synagogue, do you know where, do you know uh, the story of when he went to Philippi? He looked for a synagogue. There wasn't a synagogue because there weren't enough Jewish men believers to have a synagogue. And so he found some Jewish women who were studying the scriptures by the river. Lydia was one of the leaders there. Paul proclaimed Christ. They came to know. And the Philippian church started with a woman of wealth, a Roman soldier, and a girl who had been delivered from being demon-possessed. That's a great church start. Maybe we ought to start a church like that. You see, if we're faithful to our calling, then we have to have a conviction about the lostness and the power of the gospel. Have you ever heard of David Hume? David Hume was an 18th century British philosopher who rejected historic Christianity. He was an atheist. And he did a great job in his writings to persuade other people to be atheists. Well, once he met a friend who was hurrying in London Street, um, and he asked where he was going. And his friend said, well, I'm going to go hear George Whitfield preach. And Hume said, why in the world would you do that? I know that you don't believe what he says. He says, no, I don't believe it, but George Whitfield believes it. Do you get that? Do we get that? That people might want to hear 
the truth of the gospel because we're living and speaking in such a way that they're convinced, that we're convinced that it's real. But if we can just simply move through life silently, how can anyone who doesn't know Christ be convinced that we're convinced that it's real if we're not willing to share it? Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Do we have lost friends and neighbors and families who don't believe? Do we really believe in hell? Can we remain silent? Paul was provoked and angered, not at the people, but at their lostness. I'm sure you're familiar with Chuck Colson, who was the hatchet man of Nixon, went to jail because of Watergate. He started a ministry called Prison Fellowship while he came to know the Lord. And uh, one of the people that was on his staff uh, later on had been a narcotics agent with a police department. And so he was out there trying to find these people who were buying and selling drugs. But he got caught up in the whole culture of it, and he started selling and buying drugs. And he got caught, and he went to prison. And while he was in prison, he went to the prison fellowship, and he came to know the Lord. And when he got out years later, he became someone who was a part of the ministry. But here is what I want you to hear. He was asked... What could be done about the drug traffic in America? Here's what he said. It won't be stopped through legislation. It's just too easy to get two small boats to meet in the ocean and exchange cargo. Or a private plane loaded to be in some uh, distant um, airstrip. We can't stop it. He said, our only hope is Jesus Christ. So here's a person who tried to stop it as an officer, who became part of it, paid his dues, came to know Christ, and now here is someone who is convinced of the power of the gospel to save and to change. You see, our only hope is that we can win So many people to Christ that drugs will not be needed anymore. That's why we are supporters and partners with Set Free. That is where the gospel is proclaimed the clearest to those who suffer from addiction. Here's something else that I see in the scriptures Paul knew how to present the gospel clearly, which will be my third point 
because he had a breadth of knowledge about different types of people. Now, I don't know anyone who is as educated as Paul, who could speak to any culture about Christ. There may be some of us. But let me address not just you as an individual or me as an individual, but a church of this size, between all of us, we should be able to address any culture about Jesus Christ. There is a breadth of knowledge in this room among yourselves that you will and can be effective. If you were to put us in a different culture, we may not do very well. But here in Nassau County, where you live and work, you know not just individuals, you know the basic thoughts and history and traditions of the people who live here. Paul had a breadth of knowledge that extended way past his community. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He, I mean, he bragged about how Jewish he was, and then he said in response to that, it all became dung compared to Jesus Christ. He spoke to the Jews, and then he spoke to people in the marketplace. Every day he went to the marketplace. Now, what's the marketplace? It's where people exchange goods. It's at the stores, the grocery store. It's where you go buy clothes. It's where you get gas. It's where people hang out. It's where people live. What did Paul do? He went to the synagogue, but he didn't stay in a synagogue. He went where the people were. One of the reasons that I chose years ago to become a chaplain with the Nassau County Sheriff's Office is that there's a distinction, and I love this distinction, between a pastor and a chaplain. A pastor brings people to Christ. In other words, people come here, we preach, we bring them to Christ. A chaplain brings Christ to the people. Do you know every one of us in here should be a chaplain? We should be bringing Christ to the marketplace, to where people are. That was his second group of people in which he shared gospel. And then while he was doing that, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these were the intellectuals. They had heard what he was saying in the marketplace. And remember, these are the people who love to debate endlessly about nothing. But it was so radical what they heard. They said, we want to invite you to Mars Hill, which is the Roman uh, equivalent of the Areopagus. And so that's what he does. He's invited. And what did he do? 
He spoke to people where they were. He addressed them differently than he did at the synagogue or the marketplace. Why? Because we take people from where they are so that they can hear the truth about Christ. I'm sure that Cody speaks about apologetics, and maybe y'all have had some apologetics teaching here and things of that nature, but there's basic two approaches. One is, I'm going to start where I am. No matter where you are, no matter what your walk of life is, no matter what your education is, no matter how old you are, I'm going to start just like if I were preaching from a pulpit. I choose to do the other. When I'm in the marketplace or if I'm at a college, I ask questions. I try to find out where they are and then lead the conversation through questions until they can come to hear about Christ. This was Paul's approach here. He didn't scold them for their idolatry. He used their idolatry to have a conversation. And out of the 30,000 idols, he found the one idol that was the foot in the door, the idol to the unknown God. They didn't want to leave anybody out. That's how religious they were. So, what does he do? He takes what they believed and he said, let me show you the truth of what you think you know. The God that you don't know is the God who created everything. He is unseen and untouchable. He is the father of us all. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all spiritual brothers. That isn't what Paul is saying. He is saying he is the creator. In fact, later on he says, out of one man, all nations were built. That's what he means, that we're all brothers. Not brothers in Christ. But there's only one human race. And now let me talk to you about this God who loves and who sent his son, who died on a cross and rose from the dead. How do we address people? Do we care enough to find out where they are? To have maybe a cup of coffee with them? Do we know that perhaps their grandmother just passed away and their grandfather just passed away? Or are we just going to go in there blazing with two gospel pistols? (laughs) Do we care enough to find out what they're experiencing, what their point of need is? And then share how Christ can meet that need. Paul did that on an intellectual basis, but that isn't the only way to do it. You might do that at a college. Because that's where the people's head's at. But that may not be the case around here. So what do we do? 
We find out where they are, and we go from there. And when we do that, we also should be very clear about what we mean. We don't want to use words. You know, there's an old saying that sometimes we at church, we can't get past ourselves that we talk the language of Zion to people who are from Athens. They don't know the language of Zion. So we need to speak Athenian, so to speak, about what Christ did in Zion (laughs) so that they can understand and understand clearly about Christ. Paul said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone in order to win as many as possible. Are we willing to kind of get out of ourselves and make ourselves a slave to other people, so to speak? That means that I'm willing to humble myself before other people and share Christ where these people are. So that we might win some. And we need to know, I started off my sermon by knowing when to quit. I read about Warren Walker, who recalls he was preaching at a, at a church. He got carried away, and it was running a little bit longer than he normally does. He decided to catch his breath and just kind of take a pause, and he heard two men talking. And he said, well, is he through? And he said, yeah, he's through, but he ain't quitting. <laughs> when we're talking to people about Christ, we don't have to continue to bombard people. God's going to give us, hopefully, it's all according to his grace another opportunity and let the Holy Spirit speak with what we were able to share when they were open. We need to use words that people understand. I read about a farmer who had a wife who was critical of the farmer's grammar. Evidently, she had more education than he did. And so she told him about a friend who was coming over. His name is Billy. She said, well, don't call him Billy. Call him William. So um, he came over. He called him William. He said, I'd like to tell you a tale, T-A-L-E. And she corrected him, said, no, no, an anecdote. That night... They were going to bed, and he said, would you please turn out the light? No, don't say turn out the light. Say extinguish the light. (laughs) So later that night, she was awakened because she heard a noise. said, go down and see what it was. And so when he came back, she said, well, what was it? He said, well, it was a William goat (laughs) that I took out by its anecdote, and I extinguished it. You know, we can use the right words in the wrong context so we don't even communicate well. No matter how much we know, the gospel doesn't do any good unless it's clearly presented and so the Holy Spirit can convict them in their hearts. 
Paul had seven points. God is creator of the universe. He is the ruler of the nations. He's sustainer of life. He's the father of us all. He wants to be your savior. Someday he's going to judge the world. Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. It doesn't get much plainer than that. The last thing I see here is in verse 32. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered or mocked him, while others said, we want to hear this subject again. We need to have realistic expectations when we share Christ. We should never be prideful when someone knows to come to know Christ, and we should not be feeling like we're a failure if a person doesn't come to know Christ. That is up to the Holy Spirit to do that job. Our responsibility is to have such deep convictions about the lostness of others and the power of the gospel to save that we are willing to clearly, under the power of the Holy Spirit, share the simple truth of Christ and Him crucified. Well, Paul got ran out of Thessalonica. Paul got ran out of Berea. These people here who didn't believe in a resurrection wanted him to leave. I would like to use this as an opportunity of sharing how you can get rid of your pastor. I want you to look at your pastor straight in the eye while he's preaching and say, Amen. Because then he'll preach himself to death. I want you to pat him on the back and brag about all of his good points so he will work himself to death. I want you to rededicate your life and tell him that you want to go win the loss so that he will die of a heart attack. Get the church to unite in prayer for the preacher so that he will become so effective that some larger church will take him off your hands. Now, what is the cynical point of that? These people wanted to get rid of Paul in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, not because they didn't like him, but because the truth of the gospel is offensive. We need to have realistic expectations that some people may not want to be your friend anymore. In other words, they will want to get rid of you. They will want to get rid of me. Not because we're being belligerent, not because we are trying to be offensive, not because we are trying to be holier than thou or present ourselves somehow better than other people, but because the gospel of Christ convicts us of our sin. You see, the only reason that Jesus Christ died on the cross is so that we as sinners don't have to pay for our sin. He pays for our sin. He redeems us and He forgives us. And He takes upon Himself our punishment. See, a church isn't full of holy do-gooders. We're full of sinners who's been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think if we were to share that with humility, 
Instead of saying, come to our church because of all the positive things, just say, you know what? We at our church understand two basic truths. Number one, that we are sinners who've been forgiven. And number two, it's because of Jesus, and I want you to come and hear about Jesus. I think we could learn from what Paul did in Athens. Are we convicted of lostness and the power of the gospel? Are we willing to learn about the people? Will we clearly share Christ and then depend upon the Holy Spirit to bring conversion? Would you pray with me? Father, sometimes it's difficult, especially for preachers, for us to get past ourselves. To use language that the people understand inside the church and outside the church, in the prisons, in the hospitals, at school, in the workplace. Father, I pray for this church. It has been a lighthouse for the gospel for decades. I pray, Father, that you'll anoint this congregation, its pastors, and that, Father, that the Spirit of God will be mighty here, not just in the pulpit, not just here on this property, but in this community so that they will see the glorious gospel of Christ changing lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.